subscribe. Hello, welcome back to part two of One Point the Podcast, episode Starbound. Matt returns. Thank you, Matt. I hope you're well. Well, as always, I'm glad to be back to carry on this discussion of a favourite episode of mine. Yeah, likewise, likewise. It's a very strange episode. It's a very different feel from probably every other episode of One Foot, for, for my money. Um, and we just got up to the point where weirdness had ensued. Well, there's always weirdness in One Foot in the Grave, but it's it's definitely more weirder than usual. It's not always in intergalactic weirdness in mm. Riverbank. No, no. And we, we, I think uh, where we stopped, it was an appropriate time to stop things because it started to get a bit... Um, bit tasty didn't it so we can crack on straight away with the second part great okay. let's go for it so i think maybe the next day in the meldry household we're in the kitchen victor's come in from the back door with a, a box load of items from the shed um and this is in relation to him starting his new job as um as a as a gardener and he's, he's used a bit of initiative because he's packed a load of items he think he, he might need to help with his job. I was thinking maybe your employer should supply this, but nevertheless, he wants to impress. I don't know if it's a trial, but he's got a load of, of, of stuff. Meanwhile, Margaret's wondering where Mrs. Warboys is. I think she's due to come round with the dog because obviously Victor's changed his mind. Margaret opens the kitchen cupboard and greeted by the sight of, I don't know, maybe a couple of hundred tins of dog food. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I when I first watched this, the first few times around, I thought that is a lot for well, it's two weeks supply. But seem to forget this is they're going to look after this pet forever. So I'm not surprised he's filled up that much. But I, I used to think they're just looking after the dog for a few days, and Victor's gone overboard. Mrs. Burkett quite clearly wants to get rid of the dog, so they really were going to have a pet in the household. Just yeah. strange when you think and, about that. Yeah, Victor's keen to to be stocked up as it were yeah yeah but, uh, but margaret does comment that they she's bringing a cocker spaniel and not 101 dalmatians <laughs> so yeah. clearly i mean victor has over prepared shall we say well better than under preparing i suppose and the doorbell rings Vic, victor anticipates uh, feeding the dog so he gets a it's in a separate cupboard with some doggy biscuits i think so in in comes mrs warboys with a very large wicked basket like dog carrier i don't know who carries dogs in these anymore more on that in a moment um she does apologize for being late she'd been chatting to mrs burkett about some theater stage play she'd been to see i didn't quite catch the name of it i thought you probably may have heard what she said i didn't i didn't take note of it it's probably not well it's not important um but victor um (laughs) goes to the back door because he thinks just in case the dog bolts for it so he, he opens the back door and then uh, what a great reveal this is this is a very memorable scene this is isn't it um for all the right reasons mrs warboys opens the wicker basket and out comes a basically a taxidermy a stuffed dog a stuffed cocker spaniel much to the amazement of us the audience which is a roar of laughter of course because it's just so silly for words and um victor's astonished as you would be margaret's sort of looking on and she sort of thing still in that sort of frame of mind i'm going to keep out of this but it is weird yeah and um i I like the variation on um i don't believe it it's sort of like tell me this is just a joke and uh what the bloody hell is this 
probably um, you probably would think is a joke though, wouldn't you? You think have, have, I, yeah. have you been having me on this whole time? But Mrs. Warboys thinks it's the most normal thing in the world, and then the, the name is revealed to be Nippy, which brings a great line from Victor. Doesn't look very nippy from where I'm standing. Yes, of course it would be a it would be a, a name like that for a dog that's that's so stiff and stationary. Yeah. Yeah, it's it, the irony is is there to see. Mrs. Suddenly, Mrs. Warboys thinks Victor. She she seems to think that Victor. I think she she's getting her wires crossed, isn't she? With what she thinks this is the norm. She thought everyone knew yeah. about Nippy. Yeah, it's like um, that. It's like that um, housewives uh, gossip uh, chain again. Like, how on earth did Victor not manage to hear that mm. the Burkitt's dog had died at some point? I know. Because uh, you ask, why, why would you want a dead dog that hadn't been stuffed? Yeah. It would look awful. So, suddenly she's trying to turn this around on Victor being the weird one. And she does yes. get a bit teary and a bit sorry for herself. And Victor just continues with his ranting, doesn't he? You know, how am I supposed to take for walks? And then into the skateboard. During this rant, we, we, we're all interrupted. The characters, the audience, by Mr. Swaley swanning in as ever. You know, he didn't just do it through the back in the back garden gates. Um, he does it actually in the house but he's got quite good reason to because he's announced in quite a panic it's mother she's gone gone where in the middle of the night just vanished and something else that's weird oh i don't know what on the front lawn these strange scorch marks again there's some eerie music playing again yeah it's like a gentle version of that uh fanfare theme that we heard when the lights yeah went up all bright and uh yeah, I quite like the use of music in this episode. It's got nice, like, recurring themes that, that run through it. I was, I'm a bit of a film music nerd, so I always, I always like listening in the soundtrack of something to recurring themes and how they develop. And, and, and this, yeah. yes, it's quite on the nose and it's quite cheesy and, and what have you. But it's yeah. got, like, there's this theme that is either played, like, loud on trumpets or it's, like, gentle in the background in these mysterious, eerie moments. If I was Mr. Swain, I'd still be more concerned that my mother going missing. But because he he's obviously been, probably been told every day that she thinks she's been taken or abducted by aliens. And because he's seen these scorch marks, which do look a bit bizarre, six or seven brown scorch marks. We get like a, a semi-aerial shot of his front lawn with Victor, Margaret, Mrs. Warboys and Mr. Swainy all looking on. They're all, they are looking quite, they're looking a bit, they're looking worried, aren't they? They're looking a bit sort of this is strange this isn't especially margaret she's right at the front and she's the one that's sort of open-minded yeah. open-minded toward this according to a previous scene where she goes maybe there is something behind this we don't know if she's being sarcastic or not but she definitely looks concerned they all do yeah it's, it's a very eerie image because it's like so like these scorch marks all in a perfect circle it's kind of like a, a mini version of those those crop circles that you see yeah pictures of every now and again yeah, crop circles. That's what, and I just noticed there, Mr. Swainy looking up to the heavens. Like it's very subtle, it's just behind Margaret. But he's out of shot. But you can tell he's looking up, thinking, "What? What's you know? Where's my mum gone?" You know, it's suddenly not a sitcom anymore. It's it's sort. It is like a mini film now, isn't it? At this point, it's like brief encounter or something. Close encounters. <laughs> I did. That's the Del Boy joke. This is a bit like brief encounter, isn't it? <laughs> Do you reckon? That's my favourite film. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, and it's mine. Yeah, mine. Really? Yeah. My favourite bit is when the uh, big spaceship comes down and all the little Martians come out. That's Close Encounters. 
Yeah, I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, closing count is sorry. <laughs> I like to say that on purpose, but I didn't. But Del Boy Rex, you mean there through sheer uh, analogy of that great scene and dates. We're in the Meldrew front room. I think it's nearly tea time by the sounds of it. Victor's trawling through yet more um, donations and it's a bit of a strange reaction for Victor. I don't know what's going on here. Well, we do know what's going on to a certain extent, but we don't. He's laughing at all these. I used to think he's just hysterically lost the plot by this point and getting all these donations. But um, Margaret comes through the back door. She's a bit, a bit of a big sigh from her because they're still, they, she's been out most of the day trying to find Mr. Sweeney's mother. And she recounts having to wait about three hours or so at the police station. And I don't know why you wouldn't just phone it through, but I don't, maybe they did, and they still had to go in to speak to a sergeant or something. But the, the, mm. she's in a bit of a, a bit of a panic because they're going to be late for this meal that's been arranged with the trenches, as um, seen heard earlier that they're due to meet for about half seven, and it's nearly half seven now. It looks a bit of a summer's evening. This is anything but a Christmas special because this is clearly set, sort of spring summertime, and it's very much daylight shining through their windows there. It's like summer in my part of the world. Well, Christmas in my part of the world, which is, is, is takes place in the summer. Yeah, I've always wondered. Like, it's obviously the the norm for for you guys to have winter, Christmas with sun, genuine warm temperatures, and for us, it's miserable. Um, and the funny thing is, we're 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 brought up on all that sort of northern hemisphere culture of Christmas and and mm. winter time and songs about snowmen and white christmases and all that but it's it's totally alien to what we have here but we're still brought up with it strangely enough do you think if you were to spend christmas sort of maybe in england one just over december january you'd find it a strange feeling knowing that usually it's a very warm climate for you do you think that'd be odd or do you think actually yeah i mean i have done that i've spent i've spent christmas in england before i've also spent it in the frozen uh countryside of minnesota <laughs> oh so right! I've, I've, I've had I've had some seriously wintry Christmases before as well. I remember when um, South Africa hosted the World Cup, twenty ten. Twenty ten, yes. I was very ignorant to what the climate of different parts of the world was like, and I presumed it would be a hot, summery World Cup, but it was obviously freezing cold in June at that time of year. Going off on a tangent as ever, just because I just noticed there. But look, looking back at that scene, it's seven thirty of an evening. This is a Boxing Day Christmas special and it's there's the light is shining through. I know they've got lights on in their house, but all the same. So Victor continued to laugh off what's been posted through, including a false eye. And he's also coincidentally had his first day in his new job. So he, he feels uh, ready for anything, thanks to the countryside air. Uh, words to those effect, he says anyway. We sense he's getting some of that glow in his in his face from, yeah, he, he yeah. puts it down to the... Uh, the country air but it's, it's certainly a change of mood for him having been sort of very down in the first half of the episode yeah so, and we, we we've witnessed this bright light and this weirdness happening at, at night again so knowing we have that information that not only is mrs Warp, uh, mrs mr swaney's mother has experienced she's also been vanished and gone and because victor's acting peculiar peculiarly you know as, a, as an audience member and if you watch it for the first time you're thinking surely Victor's not gone down that road of being abducted or whatever. So his strangeness extends to the the fact that he rather caught in a corny type fashion and uncharacteristically compliments Margaret, sort of cuddles her, kisses her from kisses her head from behind. I think because she says she looks a bit of a wreck because they you know she's just trying to get ready to go out. 
So it's something that Victor would never do. Not not like that. It's almost like he's drunk. You've never looked lovelier. <laughs> yeah, he's very complimentary, very affectionate, almost almost childlike in his in his yeah. behaviour. Yeah, and he he says he goes um to get, he goes to get the wine, presumably not the seven hundred quid bottle that he accidentally used um in only a story, not only a story. Who's listening? Whichever episode they'd um accidentally used Jeffrey Croker's expensive seventieth bottle or sixtieth bottle. Uh, immediately we see the trenches pull up outside um, Riverbank. Patrick is, as ever, just tense about this meetup. And Pippa's very stern with him, just you know, basically saying, behave yourself. Yeah, think- at this point, we're, we're let in on the joke of what's about to happen. And I remember feeling a little surprised, actually, that this is how we're introduced to the fact that the trenches are arriving at the Maldrews when the Maldrews are about to leave for the trenches. You almost expect it to happen where there's a ring on a bell the doorbell and then sort of Victor and Margaret open the door and there are the trenches but that's not the way that this episode plays the scene and and there are good reasons for that which sort of come up as we as we go through the scene but yeah it's a very sort of uh, spooky music as uh, Victor uh, sorry as, as Patrick uh, is sort of quite uh, unhappy to be pulling up outside this house again and mm. refers to it as the house of hell as this cheesy organ music plays in the soundtrack yeah yeah I, f- I forgot to say actually that the last time victor was this cheery and relaxed was in only a story with the when he was going to reflexology sessions where basically having his toes manipulated by the nipples of a of a lady that's the last time and probably the only other time he's been this relaxed and laid back um and here he is again relax and lay back like you're saying yeah, and this they're going to be late for this meal and yeah like you're saying they, they've turned up at the house of hell patrick and pippa this is she's given her she wants him on his best behavior and you know, just not to be negative all the time and she's interrupted by the sight of a rather amusing sign isn't she which says do not put artificial limbs through this letterbox exclamation mark you know some people put signs on their letterbox saying no junk or no no advertising but this is a very <laughs> out there signs put and it just demonstrates patrick's point that this is the house of weirdness indeed and it it immediately puts them back in that zone of expecting bizarre and crazy things to happen anytime they're in contact with the meldrews so immediately they're 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 entering the house with this in mind that look they're at it again uh Mm -hmm. with this weird sign on on the front door and what i as soon as pepper presses the doorbell which i was expecting a like an organy type sound to, for the sound effect but it wasn't well I've... what they do instead is that the 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 camera is on a dutch tilt which is kind of that effect where the camera is deliberately placed uh at, at, a, at a funny angle and that's off, often a trope of sort of okay oh uh, yes sort of yeah. b-movie horror films and stuff like that so they're, they're sort of still going for that same effect, but instead of with music, they're doing it with the, with the angle of the camera, which is quite nice. And you hear Margaret call out. Oh, who the bloody hell is that? Because <laughs> she's just so miffed and in, in a hurry. She just need, they just need to get out of there. And yeah, there's a, a bit of a mix-up. Each couple thinks they're revisiting the other. I don't know how that's possible. I suppose it is a little bit possible, but I had to go back to the earlier scene just to listen out if there's anything obvious, and there there really was nothing recorded to say who's who will be hosting what. Just that which we meet up to have something to eat, and they arrange the time, and that's that. 
Um, think of all the things that happen in an episode of One Foot in the Grave. That's easily believable compared to to some of the other things that go on. Yeah, that's that, true. That sort of misunderstanding. It's almost like an obvious thing that could happen if especially if, if two couples have a little bit of an awkward relationship with each other and the communication isn't quite what it could be. I'm sure it's an easy thing to to happen. If you think about the dramatic fever as well, where Margaret and Victor think they're going around Desiree Gibbons, Gibson, they're yeah. going around there. They think for a meal, but they the, Desiree thinks she's booked them as to be the caterers. Yeah. Yeah, that's like a, a similar thing, what's going on, I suppose. So it mix up with, yeah, it's a um, good callback, that. Catering, catering. Rather than just being adults and saying, look, we just, we didn't know we were hosting. Rather than just explaining, you know, it wouldn't be a comedy, otherwise I know. They run with it. So you've got Margaret stuffing microwave, <laughs> microwave meals uh, in. Victor tr- still very calm, trying to open this bottle of wine. And Patrick and Pippa sat amongst all of the mess of all of these corsets and artificial limbs and stuff. Yeah, it's, it's a pa- bit like, it's a bit like their first sort of scene together in One Foot in the Grave where... Patrick yeah, and Pippa is. turn up and, and Victor uh, awkwardly is sort of trying to make the best of the situation, figure out what's going on. Uh, and they're sort of sitting awkwardly in the lounge while while Victor's scrambling around in the kitchen trying to trying to make the best of the situation. It's, it's a similar thing now with uh, Victor and Margaret, obviously trying to cover up to some extent for their mistake. Although I'm sure it, it's, it must be obvious that the, the fact that they're both standing there sort of mirror images of each other with a bottle of wine in hand. Yeah. Clearly everybody knows what, what's gone on, but I suppose the Maldrews are trying to save face to some extent. That's true. But, and also they're, they're sort of dressed up smart. So apart from the wine element, you'd be forgiven to think that they, they were genuinely hosting, like from Patrick and Pippa's point of view. Um, but it does reminisce that, who's listening special where there's a panic in the kitchen with the with the wine with jeffrey croker's wine right. being used pepper wants things to work she i think she really hates it when patrick spots something weird uh she just gets nervous that he's gonna just have a bit of a breakdown about it. it's a bit like how margaret gets nervous about victor's breakdowns in a way she doesn't she always she tries to keep things from him but yeah i don't know how, how pa- they pa- pa- sort of patrick's uh being quite uh sarcastic about it as usual like nice to see that they've made the effort as always. And he's, he's got many comments about various things that he sees, like with the glass eye. And uh, he says Salvador Dali would feel at home in this in this house. Yes, uh, he does. <laughs> and yeah, like you said, but with the glass eye, is in like a ring box. So right. he suspects something strange is going to be in there. And he's right. It's an eyeball. Why would that, why would that be? They don't think to politely ask Victor Margaret, oh, what's all this for then? You know, you can... You've known each other for years. It's okay to be a little bit nosy. Victor pops in, just offers them a glass of wine. He's he's very relaxed in nature. And that's probably even more strange to Patrick because Victor's usually a bit intense himself, but he's, yeah, mm. he's pretty he's pretty relaxed. Uh, Margaret calls out for Victor's help. He's very much struggling in the kitchen and he heads back in. It's a revelation about the job. I think this is where we find out that Pippa had put Victor in as a recommendation for... The guard, the part-time gardener position. So that when when there was that lunch invite, she she was asked, "Can you rec- can you recommend anyone?" She's put Victor's name forward. I don't know what she's playing at there because she knows that will really get on Patrick's nerves. She must know that they're coming to contact, but very brave move, I think. And uh, yeah, she certainly looks quite sheepish when it's revealed, and Patrick's clearly upset hmm. uh, that that she's. I mean, he even yeah, he can't believe it. He's like, "You suggested Victor Meldrew." Pippa looks a little bit 
almost embarrassed. It's like yeah. she's, she's, she's made a mistake. She's done wrong by her husband. Yeah. Uh, but she clearly, it's like she didn't think anything of it at the time. No, no, I, I just don't, th- don't know what's going through her mind there. She, like I said, she must know that they're coming to, they're going to come into contact if Patrick's got to go and visit his boss. But oh well, anyway, we don't really, we don't unfortunately get to see how dinner panned out because it's nighttime. It's probably early hours in the morning and Margaret's awoken by an immense, the same immense bright light we saw as discussed part one of this, this podcast. And the brief sound of the cat meowing in the background, and it's um, it lights up the whole room, and that synthesized music, the loud and proud, eighties, nineties style, which I actually adore, is played. So Victor's not in bed though, which is strange. He's not in bed. Margaret, a little puzzled, calls out for Victor, and she gets up, and um, the light does go out, but it's still, it's even more eerie and strange now, isn't it? This episode. Yeah, it's, it's quite a, it would be an alarming scenario to wake up in that situation and your usual bed partner not being there. Mm, yeah, a little bit frightened on behalf of Margaret, I suppose. But she, she um, heads to the dining room and goes, she goes like via the kitchen into the, the main living room. And as this boy, Victor, walks in, he's totally gone. And it's 20 past three in the morning. That's apparent according to um, Margaret. Victor doesn't know where he's been. Um, he said he felt like yeah, he needs to go for a walk or something. He couldn't sleep or something. Yeah, and he's all like disheveled and confused. Mm. It's, it's like he he doesn't he doesn't know where he's been, but he's he's very uh, vivid about the, the the stars, how how bright they are. And, yeah, and that's something that he's sort of very aware of. But as for the rest of what's going on around him, he seems to be a little bit in a daze almost. Remember where I have been. Here and there. Couldn't get to sleep for some reason. I just kept lying there wide awake, so I thought I'd go for a walk. Beautiful night out there, Margaret. I've never seen the stars so bright. It's almost like Richard Wilson is playing a completely different character from a completely different television program in this in this scene. He's based on a bit of stargazing, isn't he? And mm-hmm. um, she she looks very confused and a little bit alarmed, and he's he announces he's pretty pretty tired, so he, he heads up to bed. So the next morning, Margaret is again on the phone. I just feel like every scene starts with Margaret halfway through a conversation. Uh, she's on the phone to Jean, I believe. Um, it sounds like she's invited herself over. Victor walks in the kitchen, still a bit spaced. Margaret jokingly advises Victor not to rush back from work because Jean's a uh, Gonna bring all 360 Hollywood slides over. I used to love looking at photos in slide form on the big screen. Um, yeah, I remember a few occasions as a kid because my my dad and his brother are sort of mountaineers, and I remember yeah. a few times watching slideshows of photographs taken up in the mountains. Yeah, it just adds to the experience. I think looking back at photos, with I might speak on behalf of many. Just looking at the many hundreds on your phone it doesn't have that same effect, does it? Um, no, not at all. I had um, my dad put a load of slides onto a DVD, which is good. So the quality, I know it's not the same, obviously, but the quality of those photos just seem more authentic. You know, you can still get hold of these slide screens, can't you? They're, they're cheaper than they used to be. I prefer to put them on a screen projector rather than a white wall because you get the full um, the full setup then, don't you? It's a bit more authentic. Yeah. 
anyway, so another example of, of Victor being out of out character that he doesn't mind the idea of looking at Mrs. Wallboy's photos. He said he'd quite like to have seen them. And, yeah, it's um, like it's like it would normally be a sarcastic Victor remark, but it's got a very, slightly different tone to it this time. It is, yeah, and he and he's doing something else peculiar. He's holding up a bottle of milk with a slug attached. He's very chilled and spacey about this. Then what is going through his mind? He's trying to hold the bottle of milk by the poor slugs slug snails shell and of course it comes unstuck and he spills the bottle again and... it's it's like another childish moment where victor like i mentioned earlier he's he, he kind of has a sort of a childish side to him when he's in this kind of yeah uh, mood again i mean that's that's the sort of thing a child will do you'll see this snail firmly attached to this bottle of milk so i think well surely i can hold on the snail and it's going to it's yeah. going to hold the weight of the milk bottle, but predictably it doesn't. And I like his little, uh, his re- only response to it is oopsie daisy. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's Whereas welcome. Margaret, on the other hand, is yells at her most uh, piercing volume. Please, just go if you're going. One of her great oh, little uh, growls yeah, as well. I, isn't she? I won't, I won't try and do my Margaret impression of it. Thank I can leave it because it might break the microphone. Thank you very much. Anyway, Mr. Sweeney walks in, announces his mum is back safe and sound. Still no news, presumably. Yeah, that's just it. She's back. I came down this morning. There she was sitting at the kitchen table, sipping a cup of tea, large as life. Did she say where she'd been? Jupiter. (laughs) Well, to be accurate, one of its 12 moons, Ganymede, said she liked it up there so much she decided to stay on for a day. I mean, it's part of the condition. They just go wandering off and... I suppose we'll never know where she really did get to, but the main thing is she's back. In casual Mr. Sweeney fashion, oh, she's just been to Jupiter. Um, not strictly Jupiter, one of its 12 moons, Ganymede. Um, and she liked it so much, she decided to stay on for a day. Whether he believes that or not, I don't know, but because he said it, Mr. Sweeney says most things casually, so you don't know if he's being serious or running with it or, yeah, or he does. disbelieving he sort of, of it. Sorry, He sort of relates his mother's stories or things in, in quite a matter-of-fact way so you you can't actually tell it, it's it's kind of sort of deadpan and it's just and yeah. i like the sort of the level of detail in it I'd, like I'd, Gany, yeah. ganymede it's a it's a nice sounding word actually ganymede i don't know if that is a real name for a, a moon orbiting jupiter i don't know i but... didn't i didn't look it up but it sounds vaguely familiar so I, i'd suspect that it might be a real thing i'm gonna google it hang on Ganymede, Jupiter. Well, Google recognizes it. It is. It's a real, it's a spelt G A N Y M E D E satellite. It's a satellite of Jupiter. It's the largest and most massive of the solar system's moons, the ninth largest object in the solar system. Blimey. Renwick did his homework there, didn't he? And that's without internet back then. He would have, well, unless he's, that's his hobby, sort of um, astrophysics and all the rest of it. Anyway. I get the impression he's probably one of those guys with a well-stocked library full of facts at his fingertips. I suspect so as well. Yeah, I suspect so. He's, he's, he comes across as very intelligent and, and well-spoken uh, as well, so I'm not surprised. But I, uh, going back to Mr. Swaney then, I, I, think, um, he do, I think he does hint he doesn't really believe what she says because he says, I guess we, don't, we won't know where she really did get to. So I guess that answers our question, but apparently it's part of her condition. I don't know if it's dementia. Again, it's not mentioned, uh, but one would assume it's something along those lines, Alzheimer's, dementia, some neurological condition. 
Uh, Mr. Sweeney then goes on to ask how Margaret is, and Margaret is quite down and out now. She's a bit freaked out. She just doesn't know what's going on with Victor lately, purely because he's just acting weird. He's happy and laughing things off. I like Nick Sweeney's response to when she says that uh, Victor's being odd, and in fact, in that he's being cheerful. Mm. Uh, Nick's sort of just like, oh, crikey. Even even Mr. Sweeney recognised something's not quite right here. But she's trying to unpick what's happened to him. He's she just says he's got more life and energy and and she links it back to what Mr. Sweeney said about the glow to his face but she never said he never said that about Victor I think there was a mistake in writing there so if you, if you to play that back the only thing we've heard about glowing and of faces is Mr. Sweeney talking about his mother but Mrs. Didn't, the, didn't Victor say tell Margaret that Mr. Sweeney's mum had a glow in her face? He did, to... he did, but it's just how Margaret says it's ever since you said about the glow to his face. I think, well, I don't think, oh, right, yeah. I mean, it bloody hell, it doesn't matter, but <laughs> I thought I'd, I was, I was, I thought I was onto some sort of um plot hole, it's not really a plot hole, just um, just an innocent mistake in that part of the writing, but it, anyway, it doesn't matter. So yeah, Margaret Links fixes good mood to the um to a film where old people get younger, and I I googled old people getting younger film, and Cocoon came up. You're a film. I did, buff. The, I did the same thing, and I'm afraid I hadn't heard of it. No, uh, d- didn't get the reference, but it actually sounds like a decent movie. Yeah, won I, a couple it, of Oscars. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. What well, whatever Margaret was describing also sounded pretty um pretty good. But she has got sort of the fear of God in her eyes, didn't she? I don't know if it's just um, not just because Victor's acting strange, but I think it's just the fact he went missing for a, probably for a good few hours, mm. and because she knows Mr. Sweeney's mother did. If it was just Mr. Sweeney's mother that went missing and everyone carried on as normal, I don't think she'd think twice. But because it's happened to Victor, of course she's really reading into it now thinking is there really something strange going on here i don't know yes and we get that sort of that music again in the mm. background as she says that and she's like something very strange is happening last night there was this light outside the window and those scorch marks on your grass something very strange is happening i just wish i could get to the bottom of it And it's actually one of the things that I really like about One Foot in the Grave. And this episode in particular is a good example of it, where obviously we know the the One Foot in the Grave style, right? There's yeah. there's this there's strange things happen. It's like, how can there possibly be, be a reasonable explanation for it? But somehow there always is. Mm. But uh, even after I watched this episode a few times, it, it still kind of had enough of a hook in me to think, uh, I could almost believe that the answer to the mystery was supernatural. It's like a Sherlock Holmes story. Yeah. Where Sherlock can always explain the the, 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 the hound of the Baskervilles in reasonable uh, terms. Um, whereas here, like this this scenario, I, for, for many viewings of it, I'd always like, be, get to this point of the episode and think like, what what is actually going on here? It can't all be, it can't all be rational and reasonable. There must be something supernatural happening. Yeah, yeah. You you think will Renwick go as far as making it this um, mysterious without an explanation? He's, he's not really gone this far before with with um, weirdness, shall we say? Plenty of dark mm-hmm. scenes in One Foot, but this is something different, isn't it? 
We're at Ravens Hill now. Patrick is uh, very apologetic for his apparent lateness due to a flock of sheep holding him up across the way. Fidela's hosting some sort of business meeting. They've got people in from New York. She's keen to get on with that. So she's sort of using this corporate language to speak in the background. And Patrick, for the second time, I don't know if we mentioned it earlier, but he's distracted by not only Victor in the distance, who's working and Victor's pushing along a, a wheelbarrow and stops to wave at him, but He's in a trance-like state as this that this moon and stars hanging wind chime, this wind bell chime, like with the it's sort of Hitchcocky, isn't it? Like Damien Omen esque. Yeah. It happened early and it's happened again. Everyone's sort of acting weird around him right now, and it just adds to the atmosphere of this episode. Yes, and again, Fenella is, is quite hard on Patrick, and she's like, "Well, let's try harder next time, okay?" And yeah. she's like sort of like a headmistress to a schoolboy. And yes. uh, Patrick's made to look sort of weak and a bit pathetic with, you know, making excuses about, you know, being held up by a sheep. Yeah. It's kind of like the old dog at the school, yeah. the homework type of thing. So, yeah, Patrick's, yeah, he's really unsettled and he's, he's, he's not on the front foot, so to speak. What is it about that moon and stars wind chime thing, ornament? Why, why is that focused on twice now? Is it apart from to add to the like, like I said the atmosphere? Is there is there something subliminal that I've not picked up apart from the whole intergalactic abduction? Yeah, thing? I don't know. It, to me, it's always just felt like a a sort of uh, incidental cutaway to something that's a bit that's a bit funny. Like that that sort of like wind chime thing gives yeah. that bit of an eerie atmosphere. And obviously, the fact that you know, stars and things have been a bit of a theme through the episode. It's, yeah, it's just kind of like, to me, it's just a, a, another recurrence of that theme yeah. that comes up. I don't know if there's any deeper symbolism or connection no, it, it, to it could something be. else. Do get in touch, listeners, if you have a theory. Um, there's, there's, always a re- there's always a reference in One Foot in the Grave that you can't quite catch until you do some research, so you never know. Chekhov's gun. Every mm. moment in a film matters. Everything we see matters, but I think it, it probably is just a to up the energies of this episode and what we're feeling and what we're seeing. But it's a very brief scene. I think it's just to show us Victor at, at work and um, Patrick very much under the thumb of Fenella. And, and we're brought back into the Meldrews. It, it's not nighttime as I thought originally. It's just a bit of a picture show put on by Mrs. Warboys with Margaret. A very unusual angle of the living room because we've got the projector screen in front of the living room windows. It's the holiday that Mrs. Warboys has been on. We've just got these photos that only Mrs. Warboys would be able to get, I think. I think it's casually was able to go up to certain Hollywood stars and we see... So is this Kevin Costner she's photoed with? Yeah, well, my theory is that she's either... Yes, either she's she's somehow managed to meet, meet these... Uh, celebrities or she's been in another waxwork museum like in affair of the hollow lady but she's she's not telling margaret but you never know but yes i I think i spotted kevin costner michael douglas uh sylvester stallone and woody allen woody allen she was she was apparently in new york at some point yeah she just stopped off on the way back margaret is fast asleep she's not interested this did remind me of um we have put a living in the tomb where victor was asleep i think it was their was it their niece jennifer or margaret's niece jennifer she was slowing slides of their holiday or it was uh, no videos of them some birth in the family and something else and victor yeah was that's right reminiscent of that i suppose margaret is fast asleep 
she's not interested in looking at these photos. She's got other things on her mind whilst trying to um, basically humour Mrs. Warboys into showing these casual photos of these celebrity stars. The doorbell goes, which awakens Margaret, and it's a Detective Inspector Roy Millichoke, CID, at the door. And this is Ray Winston, bit of a legend in his field of acting, uh, quite quite young here, probably early 40s. And he is there to talk about the homeless person that was in their shed. We thought we'd saw the last of this episode in, in their lives. We just thought it's a homeless guy. They'd be moved on, nothing more about it. But yeah, Roy Millichoke is around to discuss this very event. Yeah, there was subplot coming coming back again mm-hmm. later yeah. in the show. And yeah, I really like Ray Winston. Although, like, I, I think I've hardly actually seen anything he's been in apart from the worst Indiana Jones movie. Oh, yeah. Um, when, when I looked up his his, his um, filmography, even though I thought I'd seen him in lots of things, I actually haven't, which I yeah. probably should should <laughs> sort out. But, but yeah, I do like him. King Arthur? Yeah, I saw that, but I saw it so long ago, I didn't even remember him in it. He's one of these, I think he looks older than his years. I, I He's always looked about 60, but he's only just turned... I think 65 and i thought he was that age about 15 years ago his daughter's in acting isn't she she's been in a few things she's been in mad dogs i spoke to earlier about she's, okay um, so would would in nine when was this 1996 six. so would he have been very well known then and would people have realized that when they saw him earlier in the episode that this was the famous actor ray winston uh short answer i don't know i think he was more or less a jobbing actor at this point i mean he'd, he'd been acting well mid the mid 70s onwards he was in quadrophenia he was in robin of sherwood just things i've mind uh, a few few programs i recognize by name yeah i think up to that point not not too many things i would say a, a jobbing actor by that by that moment before he went into more film rather than tv so perhaps he might not have been overly recognizable roy millichoke he does he there's something that's Something dodgy been going on with this homeless chap who'd been staying in the shed. He needs to investigate. I understand a couple of days ago you found a man living in your shed. I find his accent very enjoyable to listen to, especially the way the way he pronounces man. He says, I understand you found a man living in your shed. It's like, you found a man. It's like, it's like actually quite a South African. The way he says man almost sounds like the way certain South African accents would pronounce man. I, I quite <laughs> he, enjoyed that. He's very classic. I don't say classic Cockney, but he's got that sort of diamond geezer kind of... Yeah. Something dodgy's been going on here. It's a clever twist coming up, I know, but there's some stashed merchandise in that shed up to the value of around about £100,000 a kilo, much to the horror of Margaret and Mrs. Warboy's that needs to be looked into, and it, and that's that scene is cut back into Ravens Hill. And before we yeah, can another even great cut, and uh, yeah, Victor taking this uh, white powder out of a plant food box and pouring it into a water can with uh, yeah. lots of dust going all over the place, and Victor inhaling a lot of it, and I think he even coughs some of it at some point. Well, it, so it, yeah, one, it, one, it, once we know what's going on, it's it's a very funny cut there. And I I can presume maybe. Well, that will the audience automatically go? Ah, oh, that's why he's been acting funny. He's been high on cocaine. Uh, I I didn't know cocaine did that. To you. I mean, I've never taken cocaine, but I didn't I didn't know it made you sort of act like you've been on marijuana or or whatever. Because he's 
Well, in in a in a in a family sitcom, that's probably what cocaine does to you. Yeah, I I suppose that makes sense. Um, but it's completely innocent. He's been, and we can go back to an earlier scene where he retrieved a box full of goodies from the shed. Say goodies stuff for his job, and yeah, he's unintentionally collected <clears throat> boxes of cocaine, which this homeless person had been sitting on, probably s- selling from that back shed, that very back shed or at least holding on to it until he needs to pass it on to his boss. Um, so, yeah, like you said, he Victor's having a, a whale of a time in this uh, at Raven's Hill and Lucy Davis, Mrs. Blanchard, should I say, she's only ever known Victor to be like this, so this isn't strange to her, is it? I just wondered if there was a very tiny chance that Renwick was just having that intention to fool the audience, like a double fooling of the audience, where it's just a almost like a visual pun of, Victor's not really supposed to be high on cocaine. It's just it happens to be playing with powder or using it to to plant for, for like plant food. And, and when you first watch it, you might be going, oh, maybe it's not cocaine. It's just it's just a play on words, but visually speaking. But of course, it's cocaine. But I just wondered at the time, I think, and if you first watch this, are you supposed to automatically go, oh, that's cocaine? Or are you going, oh, I can see what Remick's done here. It's supposed to... But no, I think I'm probably read far too much into that, and it's 100% supposed to be what it is for the audience to pick up on. God, yeah, I think pod- so. That's what podcasts do to you. You read into every single element, and you twist and turn it and try and sort of think too deeply when you don't need to. I just think, oh, silly. Anyway, but if we, we cut back to the shed, and Millichoke is questioning Margaret. She doesn't suspect this, this gear belongs to Fenella. And, of course, Penny... Penny drops then for Margaret because she can obviously she knows she can put she can uh, what's the phrase I'm looking for connect the dots if you like quite quite early on and she she thinks perhaps you need to go to Ravens Hill because all of that all those drugs are stashed there so they all rush to um, his car it won't start thankfully though Mrs Warboy's officer left she does yes and um, and then Margaret runs back inside. And it's quite. I find it quite amusing. The slideshow is, is still running on automatic, and yeah. we get another glimpse of a few more celebrities. Uh, Tom Hanks, I think uh, Keith Richards is another one. I mean, I mean, I wonder what he would have made of Mrs. Warboys. I can't imagine Keith Richards and Mrs. Warboys in in the same in the same space together. Yeah, he definitely wouldn't have had, wouldn't have had time for her, would he? I mean, that's someone else high on drugs half the time. But it's fun, it's quite funny. It's quite a serious moment there. Drug. The, the topic of drugs is brought in now and they still got time to make us laugh with the slideshow, like you were saying. No, one of your men was just here. He searched right through the shed and couldn't... Fo- You're not serious? Escaped when? Well, I mean, he just came to the door and said he was a detective inspector with the CID and could he come... Beard and hair and everything. He, he looked like a different man. A friend of mine has just given him a lift in her car. So what are you telling me? When you say dangerous, how dangerous exactly? That's the, the revelation from that phone call is that Milichok is some dangerous criminal. Fooled us, the audience, that he was also the homeless guy. Appearing as a detective 
to recover his his um his goods because obviously he's been chucked out by the police previously so he needs to get there before it's discovered yeah and it's quite an ominous moment as it dawns on margaret and she asks you you know when when you say dangerous how dangerous exactly mm. uh, is what she, what she asks the police and i think there's again there's some that sort of mystery uh kind of like slightly serious music in the background where margaret realizes oh hang on there's actually something seriously wrong here people are in danger yeah yeah we're in gene's car mrs warboy's obviously blissfully unaware who is actually sat in the passenger seat and an ever groanly sort of pissed off <laughs> joke has to endure gene's american trip um yeah, anecdotes. And, uh, i enjoy how gene goes on about sort of american and british language and she brings up the sort of the, the quote that's sort of attributed to George Bernard Shaw about America and Britain being divided by common language and first floors and ground floors mm-hmm. and vets from Vietnam. Uh, I, I quite enjoy those little quirks of language. So to see Mrs. Warboy is sort of enthusiastically giving us a kind of a summary of how different English is in America to this not only disinterested, but also increasingly agitated and militope who we know now is a is a dangerous criminal it's, it's an amusing scene yeah and ray winston goes on to play not necessarily criminals but the hard man and yeah you know this is one of his earlier roles as a hard man i, I would have thought but he he can't stick the um, gene uh, waffling on he's spotted the brown is it trixie what's the dog's name trixie trixie's trixie, um, yes trixie's uh, it's like a what is it? It's a it's a it's, I thought it was like a bedding, but it's just a big sack, isn't it? Trixie yeah, it's, it's, it's like a sack that she uses as a sort of makeshift blanket to sit on in the car, as far as I can tell. And it's it's turned quite. He he orders he well not more than orders he demands that she stops. He's got a gun in his pocket. He he holds against her, and he basically he puts her in the sack and rolls her down the hill. And to add. Um, insult to injury, he shouts out, Someone should tell you you're really tedious company! <laughs> Which is funny, but it's pretty, it's pretty, um, it's very harsh to say the least. He's just been blimmin' well, sort of kidnapped in a way, but then shoved down a hill, uh, which would be a bit painful for a woman of her, of her age. And uh, yeah, you sort of hear a groaning and sort of in a bit of, a bit of pain. Well, this is the in some ways, you could say this is part of the genius of Renwick and One Foot in the Grave, is that in any other circumstance, to see an old woman being treated like that by a, a sort of and a cockney hard man with a gun <laughs> would be would be shocking and appalling. But over, what is it, five series and 30-odd episodes or whatever, we've sort of been conditioned to be highly amused anytime Mrs. Warboys is abused. So she's threatened with a gun, stuffed in a bag, rolled down a hill, a car is stolen, and we're loving it. I mean, this is one of my favorite. This is this is one of my favorite scenarios in any One Foot in the Grave episode because the abuse of Mrs. Warboys is like one of the running jokes of the series, and it only gets worse from here because there's a horny Alsatian called Horace on the loose. Horace, it's a big payoff, isn't it? It's like a point of view. Like I said, all 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 that's happened to Mark, uh, Mrs. Warboys, and People um, like Milo Choke probably wanted to do this for years with respect to her. And um, yeah, she's really having a bad time, especially as this uh, Alsatian discovers Mrs. Warboys in the sack struggling with its doggy owner trying to track, track him down. 
she doesn't we don't see anything more from there do we 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 go back to raven's hill and um victor's still singing your, your favorite song hey mr tambourine man <laughs> Hey, Mr. Tambourine Man, play a song for me. In the jingle jangle morning, I'll come following you. Are you okay? Mr. Tambourine Man, Mr. Um, Blanchard. Over- sh- shockingly, he's got his uh, flat hat on backwards, like, oh, I don't know, yeah. like Sam- Samuel L. Jackson or something. Yeah. Yeah, he's a cool dude now. He's about to get on one of those sit on lawnmowers. This is Blanchard, a little concerned. You know what you're doing, and he's he's he thinks he's fine. He can just crack on with it, and he sort of speeds off in a inappropriate pace. Yeah, it's it's a great line because she asks if he's driven one before, and he sort of with that inane grin on his face is like, "Well, never in my life." And off he goes on it, <laughs> sort of like he's like a cowboy on a bucking bronco as as it as it pulls off. It like sort of lurches away, and he is flung back in his seat, but. Yeah, he's up for it. He's he's off on his, he's on away. his excursion around the around the property on his lawnmower. Meanwhile, there's a meeting going on. Patrick's getting his leg fondled by Fenella's feet. Very, very sexual. And Victor's absolutely I wrote off his tits because he is we, we got a shot of Victor just I think it's sped up this film, I'm sure this footage, I'm sure it is. He doesn't know what he's doing, does he? He's just going zigzags and absolutely high as a kite and yeah it's it sort of the way the way they've treated the footage it gives an impression of of like silent comedy where it was filmed at 16 frames a second but we usually see it projected at 24 frames a second so everything's sort of like slightly sped up it's got that sort of buster keaton-ish benny uh, hill feel feel. To it. yeah mm. uh patrick's eye is caught by uh, victor on this um lawnmower Patrick's nerves must be through the roof. I think he probably wants to be sick. He's that nervous. He's got Fenella fondling his leg with a foot. If that's a fondling is the right word, touching him playing up. Playing footsie. Playing footsie. There's Victor who is driving this lawnmower into the business room and it, he's absolutely buggered up this lovely feathery, fluffy rug. Massive commotion and Fenella looks absolutely furious, doesn't she? Yeah, she does. He's got a funny little line, which is almost lost in the sound effects there, but he's, he says, I think I've gone a bit skew-if here. He's re- I mean, she Fenella looks at Patrick, I said to say, this is your doing, but it's not It's not his doing. It's, it's. Um, I mean, he's associated with Pippa, so she's sort of, he's sort of taking the rap for this, isn't he? He is, and, well, yeah, he's sort of like landed with it, but of course, if we know if, if Patrick had anything to do with it, he would have told Fenella not to let Victor Meldrew anywhere near her property. Yeah, he's so scared of her, though. He doesn't really want to say anything out of line, does he? He doesn't want to question her authority or decision-making. This distraction by Victor, distraction's not the word, leads all of the businessmen and women. I don't think there's any women there. I think Fenella's the only woman there, actually. They they, stay, they step outside, and Fenella can only look on in horror as she is. What's on her mind is the big summer house. The summer house, please, not my new summer house. The businessman and Fenella are looking on in horror as Victor is just off his head and he looks like he's about to approach the summer house and he narrowly avoids it. We see Uncle Louie in the wheelchair, still asleep, and he barges in the back like in a bumper cars, Uncle Louie's wheelchair, and he goes flying. And suddenly it's like a scene out of Last of the Summer Wine. It's very, it's a bit corny, isn't it? Because he goes flying past um, who we then see, Millichoke or 
He's not called Miller Jake, we know. Ray Winston and Mrs. Warboys. Uh, no, sorry, just Miller Jake. Mrs. Warboys is somewhere else in a sack, isn't she? <laughs> and um, it goes flying in front of um, Ray Winston's car, shall we say. And this leads him to drive into the summer house. And it, it's a bit of a crescendo to the manicness that's been going on. It's kind of, uh, yeah, it's a bit of a step into the area of, of farce, I suppose. All the different uh, things that happen with the wheelchair flying through the air. Yeah. You know, in front of Mrs. Blanchard and then across the road and Millichope, or so-called Millichope, coming off the road and then crashing into the uh, summer house, of course, which I must say is quite an elaborate setup, that whole structure that comes down as the car sort of plows into it. I'd like to, he again, hear from the person who was in charge of building that. I know. When we heard about how uh, how elaborate it was to do something like the, that, that scene the guy was talking about with the, the water sprayers in, in the set, I'd like to know how much planning and, and all that sort of stuff went into building a summer house that then has to collapse on cue as a car hits it, you know? I know. Surely a, a, a one-take shot if ever there was one. I know. that That's the thing. It's a bit like the the importance of the chandelier scene in Fools and Horses, it has to go right that one occasion. I don't know if you spotted it, but before Victor goes into the back of Uncle Louis' wheelchair, it looks like it's like a, a hedge in front of him, but on a different angle, that hedge is not there. When Mrs. Blanchard is, when he flies past Mrs. Blanchard, and then of course it goes across the, the sort of driveway. I don't know, just most people would pick up on it. It's only because I watched it back a few times. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think it's fair to say, I, ca I can't remember what happens in the start of Series 6 that, that, or Endgame even, but that's that might have cost Patrick his contract, but it shouldn't do, but it might have done the way she, he was being treated. Mm. Yeah, The mother of all cock-ups caused by Victor for Patrick, another eternal reason for Patrick to fear being around Victor. And I, I love Victor how uh, in his sort of mood how calmly he takes it because of course he just like cruises up in the mower at the end of all this chaos and says all right i think i got the hang of it now <laughs> which is a great sort of cap to that scene oh it's brilliant and it, we're back to the fields where mrs warboys is being looked after by a policewoman and it sounds like she's been uh much in the same way Patrick has been abused. Mrs. Warboys has been taken advantage of by this Alsatian. It's a very well-rounded off gag where we see a return of the school children, the outdoor art class with the illustrations this time where the teacher's checking on their work uh, of Horace making, seemingly making love to Mrs. Warboys in the sack. Very clever and dark way in telling us how this happened, I suppose. And it's not really left to the imagination as such, but the innocence of a child's drawing sort of helps us to get an idea of what you know what's happened yeah that's right um, nothing like a good recurring gag and it, yeah it's a great way of resolving that scene which obviously was getting quite dark at the point where we left it mm. but it's a great way of, of ending it in a very light way even though we know you know the, it was a, a have a, a real ordeal for mrs warboys but we can still laugh at it we can still laugh at it it's it can only happen to mrs warboys and uh, we don't know if I, I, well, we do know we we, we can make an educated guess that Ray Winston's character would have uh, been arrested and um, dealt with and whatever. And I'm sure Fenella had insurance on that big summary house or claim on the house insurance or whatever. So all is not as bad as it seems. 
where we're back at the Meldrews bedroom, probably the same night. I would say business as usual now, because first of all, as you mentioned earlier, with the Christmas theme, the very subtle Christmas theme of Margaret rooting around the wardrobe and she thinks she can smell something untoward. And Victor wanders in, doesn't he, sort of inspecting his parts and wonders if he should have them both off and be done with it. And um, I think, what does he say something about um, dropping one when he starts a new job? Does he mean like dropping a bollock, like the phrase of cocking up? Like he may as well... Yeah, it's like... Mm, like dropping a clang what it was it dropping, dropping a, a clang, clang yeah. Yeah. yeah the cocaine's worn off i think now it's back to normal business as usual which is what we like to see with with respect to victor how does your head feel now yeah like two men pulling a piece of barbed wire backwards and forwards through my ears <laughs> how people work in advertising i'll never know piece of steel plated nostrils And this is where Margaret says one of Ronnie Mildred's presents is starting to smell. I think the Timeless Time episode from I think 1990 or 1993, sorry. That would have been 1990. So, yeah, so the, the presents are from Christmas 93, is what Margaret says. But before that was Timeless Time, where Victor, out of boredom, was going to open a present and he didn't from Ronnie and Mildred. That's right, um, yes. And I, I like how they, they sort of had this mental catalogue of these various presents they've been given over the years by Ronnie and Mildred that, that they can ask, well, which year is it? And they can immediately say 1993. Yeah. Um, Victor's suffering from a bit of a, a, a headache. I don't know if it's a consequence of the, the, the cocaine hangover or, or not. I think, does he say how people work in advertising? I'll never know. I don't know why that line was spoken of. I guess it's, it's, a, it's a dig at... A sort Isn't of stereotypical it? image of advertising people being snorting like, cocaine or something. Yeah, that's all I Because he says they must have steel-plated nostrils. <laughs> yeah, oh, that makes sense now. I was thinking of inner-city yuppie types, but I thought there's something else I was missing. Margaret's genuinely relieved, isn't she? This has only happened. This has all happened over the last couple of days. Because she said, Margaret says, funny old couple of days. It feels like it's been all of this is, commotion's been going on for a week or two. Um, yeah. But she's generally relieved, and Victor doesn't really see the funny side compared to Margaret. She does reveal that when Victor came home the other night, I think she was going to say, I thought you might have been with another woman, but she stops herself, doesn't she? Because she knows that you can think too much into certain things. Because that's when I, again, when I first watched this, I was thinking, I wonder if Victor's been out and been with a woman, or mm. Margaret must be thinking this as well, because she can get quite jealous in nature, can't she? You know, the series one, the nude art class drawings right millicent fair of the hollow lady although she wasn't jealous until it became apparent that she was lying to margaret about sleeping with victor yeah um, and she laughs off the apparent spaceship landing on the front lawn of mr swaney she's almost like the audience member in, in this situation where she says when it's explained to you you feel like such an idiot like because yeah. we we see these things that happen and and they seem extraordinary, supernatural, uh, whatever. But as these scripts always do, they they explain it to you, and you're like, "Oh yeah, I, I, I get how that works." Yeah, it's all it's, it's all it's it's sort of spoon fed to us, but very subtly, and it's just it's quite a long conversation, fairly long conversation going on. And sorry, there's a fairly long conversation going on with little things drip fed into that. And Victor does seem to have, he's seems to have learned a few gardening tips because he does conclude that Mr. Sweeney probably put in the wrong type of stuff down for the dandelions. He probably forgot to dilute it or something. 
Mm. And then, of course, the explanation of the bright lights. Oh, and I bumped into Mrs. Ellsbury opposite again this afternoon. Mm. Said those new security floodlights have been fixed now. Mm. It's a loose connection or something kept making them flicker like that. Mm. What's the trouble with those things? You know, every time a cat or a dog walks across, just sets them off. Still, with crime the way it is. She didn't. I don't think she needed to say opposite because she sort of, sort of partially points out the window. I wonder if this is for the newer viewers at the time, because One Foot in the Grave have been, been out for quite a few years at this point. So I wonder if she's just making light that it's literally someone across the road. Um, apparently, they got like new security floodlights and there's a bit of a loose connection, which is making them flicker, which explains the bright lights, because the bright lights were also flickering as well, which we, we didn't really um, speak about. Uh, which also meant cats and dogs and whatever can set them off or whenever. So it feels like a thing of the past. A lot of people, some people have security lights on their front porch, don't they? I don't, well, we do in this country. I don't know about where you are, and they are quite yeah. sensitive. Yeah, I remember as a kid, we we had these security lights outside our house, and I used to deliberately try and uh, set them off and make them light up. Mm. It, it would be uh, it would be the floodlights outside for our after dark games of cricket or yeah. basketball or whatever we were playing and we'd, we'd be playing and then the light would go off then we'd have to go and jump up and down in front of the sensor to to get the floodlights back on again oh you're lucky they're censored because when we used to pay an extortionate amount to, to hire out an astro to a football pitch obviously we'd have the floodlights on for the, for the hour and as soon as they go off that's it you can't see a thing mm. um, i'm surprised they do that in this day and age with health and safety but um you really can't mm-hmm. really see much walking into each other and the goalposts and whatever and i was a bit gutted that there was a simple explanation to the um mystery lights and unusual behavior of victim whatever but it brings a bit of realism to the show because there's always an explanation to things and but what isn't explained and I'm, i'm glad they did leave something of it of a mystery i wonder where she really did get to next door all that time yesterday Awful to think she'll never be able to tell us. Margaret sort of mood switches from laughing things off to sort of thinking about Mr. Sweeney's mum. Where did she really get to? Because I know we think she might have some sort of dementia and she may well have walked off. It, it, sadly, it does happen where people, um, I don't know, with, either with a brain injury or, or similar, perhaps they're um, not in the right state of mind and they might abscond and go wherever. But... Um, According to Mrs. I can see Mrs. Swaney, Mr. Swaney's mother, she she believes she she was uh, captured by aliens. So I guess you can leave it to the viewers' imagination what they want to believe happened. Yeah, but yeah, they do. She, I think she does say. I think we'll all get like that one day. It's, it's mm. like it's something that's down the road for these characters, where you know mentally they they may not be as aware of what's going on around them as as they might like to be. But of course, Victor has, has a great line. Of course, where he says, "Well, what's the point of being sane when the entire world is completely mad?" Mm. Which, of course, is 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 very much the recurring theme of Victor's existence uh, throughout One Foot in the Grave, because he looks insane to everybody else, but everybody else looks insane to him, and he 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 feels like he has a very good grasp on the world and what's right and what's wrong, and, and the, the way things things should be done, but to much of the rest of the world and even to the general public when they think of the character of Victor Meldrew, you know, in, in our sort of popular culture, who's Victor Meldrew? Well, he's this sort of grumpy old get who moans about everything without reason. Of course, 
as we see throughout the show, he's, he's, he's sort of the one who sees everything for what it is to some extent, although mm. he may overreact to things at times. But, you know, he's, he's the, the voice of sanity and the, the world around him is not as it should be. That's quite right. Yeah. Good way to explain that in a, in a metaphor light, I suppose, because, yeah. And like you said, he does, he's sort of being sarcastic, I know, but he'd rather, I don't know if you read, again, read into this, he'd rather this state of mind be brought on to him so he, he can be sort of ignorant of what's going on because he's so fed up with life at times. Margaret is quite positive and she's looking to the future. Rarely do they go to bed on these kind of terms. Victor's his usual self, shall we say. Margaret is just relieved. Everything is over and done with and it's quite loving gives him a, a kiss good night you sleep well tonight put it all behind you and tomorrow will be another day mm. Mm. Night, night. Yeah. sweet dreams and the lights go off and a few moments later <laughs> unexpectedly the uh, the dog starts barking there's a cat meowing from outdoors and these floodlights shine through the 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 window again and we get a final meldrew moan at the end which is a great payoff isn't it because it's even though everything's been explained they're still going to be experiencing this bloody light pollution now not for the first time yeah and that ends there it's a it's a great it's a great ending i think and uh, it it just i think having an end like that was quite subtly clever because it just is Renwick reminding us that these things do happen. It's just normal. If if we didn't ever see those bright lights again, it might have given the illusion that maybe it was something sinister, but it really was just something as innocent as Mrs. Ellsbury's dodgy floodlights. And uh, and that ends with the rendition of Hey, Mr. Tambourine Man. In the, and it's sort of the end credits into the style of, I suppose, the Star Wars credits. Yeah, very Star right? Wars-like with the, the text disappearing into the distance. Yeah. And yeah, the Mr. Tambourine Man is quite a famous cover version by the group called The Birds. Um, okay. And it was, it was a popular version of Mr. Tambourine Man in the 1960s. Okay. Well, that's, a, for, for my money, a superb special, bit of a beast of an episode. With, that's two down, one more to go out of the three trio of specials they released. General thoughts? Yeah, uh, a favourite episode of mine, uh, top of the Christmas specials for me. Um, I've always preferred my comedy in 30-minute chunks, but if you're going to give me a Christmas special of One Foot in the Grave, this is the one I tend to gravitate towards. I mean, I realised just now that I haven't seen Endgame, I think, more than once, maybe twice, and I don't know that one very well at all, so I'm looking forward to revisiting it, but for now, in my opinion... um, Starbound is my favourite okay. uh, special. Tyler said um, on the Wisdom of the Witch episode that he hadn't seen Endgame either ever or it had been many years and he'd forgotten all about it. And you're the second person in, in a row on, on the podcast who's, who's said similar. So I'll be interested to hear your take on it and I'll be recording that soon. Yeah, I'd just like to thank you for your time. But that was a... God, how many hours have we been on this now? What time well, do you I think... We've been on for about three hours, and I think uh, it's fairly good going, considering it's twice as long as a normal episode. And I think we spent about a good two hours on uh, the affair of the Hollow Lady, so we've done all right tonight. It doesn't half fly by. I don't know about for you, but it just zooms by. My um, fiance came home about twenty minutes ago saying, "You can't still be on that podcast." I said, well, "Yeah." 
and I had to explain well, not that she cared. It's, it's not a 30 minute, it's, a, it's an hour. And that just adds to the length, I suppose. Well, I suppose the thing that counts is that hopefully uh, the people who listen to this discussion, it'll fly by for them too. That's, that's my hope. Well, yeah, I should probably put a disclaimer at the start. Make sure you listen to this podcast on a long journey somewhere or on a long walk because you're not going to be surely sat at home listening to this doing nothing. I thoroughly enjoyed Starbound. Um, I think these three Christmas specials were, from my memory, the first episodes I probably saw live, maybe some from Series 5, but certainly when, when I discussed Endgame, I remember the very Christmas I watched that, um, and that was, like, especially the, the scene with Margaret, um, seemingly on her deathbed, that is some that I still... I can still remember that thoroughly and where I was watching that. But yeah, a, a bit of a farewell to Susie Belbin. She has been, well, she certainly helped guide this show to become one of the greats at this point. And she's, well, hands the baton down to Christine Gernon for Endgame onwards. And it still remains a great series after that. So fantastic. Well, thank you, Matt. Please get in touch. Please rate the show if you haven't done so already. And drop me an email. It's uh, one foot in the podcast at gmail.com. Matt, people can get in touch with you if they so wish to get your, your opinion. Maybe they want to get your opinion on, on Endgame. What was your Twitter handle? Uh, my Twitter handle is at goldrush007. That's G O L R U S H 007. Thank you ever so much for everyone for listening. I'll be back for Endgame with Ben. Ben was one of my first guests on, well, was the first guest on the podcast. So I look forward to that. Thank you very much for everyone's time. Uh, Matt, take good care and keep in touch. Oh no, Meldrew Moan. We haven't done a Meldrew Moan. <laughs> I was gonna let you I was gonna let you get through the uh, the end and then I was gonna say, don't forget about the Meldrew Moan. Let's go back and we can slot it in. <laughs> well, I I will hand over before we go, of course. Let's hear your Meldrew Moan. It's a little bit of a Victor-like scenario. We've just moved into a new house a couple of months ago. And not long after moving in, we discovered a leaky pipe somewhere around the bath area. So we got in touch with the insurance company. And after a few weeks, they sent some plumbers around to check it out. The plumbers weren't really sure what the problem was. They hacked away at our wall, made a big hole in the outside wall, damaged one of the pipes, water went everywhere. They fixed that pipe. And then since then, we've had a hole in the wall and it's been inconclusive whether or not the leak has been fixed or not. I mean, oh, we right. haven't had any more leaking water, but we don't know if it was the pipe that they that they busted in chipping open the wall that was actually mm. the problem. So actually for now, the last three weeks, our new house has had this enormous gaping hole in the outside wall so we're still waiting for that one to be sorted out i don't know when are the same people are, the same are they going to they fix it yeah that's the idea but yeah. i think we, they wanted to hold off to see if we could detect where the leak was coming from but it's yeah it's been a few weeks now where we've been sitting with a this enormous hole in the wall of our new house so that's a bit, uh. a bit annoying and, and we're still yeah sort of waiting to see how this is all going to resolve itself Hopefully not with a, a big ranty telephone call to the the company, but you never know. I'm, I'm not I'm not I'm not a complainer like Victor. I tend to sort of just calmly wait to see how things are gonna resolve themselves. But uh, yeah, you don't. You I'm don't sure, need. I'm you sure don't... Victor would be going off on the phone. Yeah, at you, no end. You don't want to be calling the McKendrick twins to to resolve this one either. Not at all. No. no. 
Well, my wife's not my my wife's not big on pranks, so <laughs> yeah, she wouldn't she would enjoy the the Kendrick twins. Yeah, well, quite wise that you don't call in that call out any old cowboy. A valid moan once again from from a guest. Thank you, thank you, Matt. And I really can say this time that's the end of the podcast. All right, well, cheers, Matt. Thank you, thank you again, and um, keep in touch. And thanks, yeah, thanks thank- for thanks for having me on again, and I've really enjoyed chatting about this episode. That's quite all right. Okay, thank you, everyone. Take care.